Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman. Really excited to be back with Pat Gallagher for the Legacy Series with the University of San Francisco Sports Management Program, uh, presenting the Pat Gallagher Fellow. And today we've got a special guest in Michelle Gong with uh, Visa and their global partnership team. Michelle was a, a fellow and I'll let Pat introduce her as, as uh, they actually knew each other prior to her receiving the Pat Gallagher Fellowship. So uh, really excited to hear this story. Well, the, the, I was so gratified that, um, you know, I was with the Giants for a long time, 32 years. And when I decided to move on, um, they, as, as really a gesture, which is they established this fellowship in my name. Um, and the whole idea was to, to encourage students at University of San Francisco in their sports management program to have some experience, real world experience, working with the Giants in an internship basis. So that's how it started. I had, as Michelle said, I, we had met before. I had a hand in starting a, a, a sort of a mid-tier college football game in San Francisco at the ballpark. And Michelle was fantastic. She was a volunteer for that. But, um, but then something amazing happened is Michelle actually wound up qualifying and became <laughs> one, of my, one of my fellows, which was, and I also liked a kid. I'd say, you know, this was a highly competitive thing is I never actually could have qualified for the fellowship because, you know, I didn't have their credentials for it, but it was named after me. So you figure, um, but, but what's, um, but what was great about it was, and Michelle was one of the first to be able to have exposure at different departments at the Giants. And, you know, let's sort of start there and, and, really get some reflections from you on, you know, what was that like? What did that mean to you? How did, you know, looking back on it now, what sort of value was that to you? Well, you know, the, the Gallagher Fellowship is definitely one of the elite ones. I think when I was at the USF program, it was only the second year of inception. Um, so it was very honored to be, to be part of it. Um, that, I mean, I'm a hometown girl, born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. So to work for the San Francisco Giants and be a part of that organization, first off, is, is everybody's dream, right, to work in baseball. I think the great part of the fellowship is most internships, and Jay can attest to this too, right, you apply to it and you're in it for, for the long haul in one department. And the great par part about Pat, about yours, is they allow you to rotate um, through departments. And at the time I had um, the opportunity to work in three different departments. So community relations, sponsorship, and then um, your other baby, I guess we would call it giant enterprises, the non-baseball side of, of the, the organization. So was definitely fortunate that I was able to dabble in a few different departments and figure out what I liked, what I didn't like. And you just have so much exposure to an organization that you typically wouldn't have if you were you know, just in sponsorship because, you know, you're just working with that specific group. Um, but, you know, my time there was was absolutely fantastic. I can't say enough about it, about the USF program. Um, and, you know, it all does come full circle because after my, my internship stint there, I actually did a, a stint back with the Giants on a different project. So, so you're, you're definitely on your way. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch 
kind of what you're doing. I mean, to hear about your stories about, you know, about working on the Olympic Games and some of the things you were able to do with, uh, you're with GMR for a while, and now you're with Visa preparing mm -hmm. for Olympics. I mean, this is mm -hmm. sort of why uh, students would aspire to go to a school like University of San Francisco and be in sports management. Mm -hmm. So is this sort of what you thought you were going to be doing? Talk about, you know, kind of what your expectations were sort of going into this. What are some of the things that you learned? What were the valuable lessons that, that you learned? You know, going into this, um, you know, you have to, at USF, you have to, when you first start out, your first thing is you have to write this paper on like what you want your career path to be. And then at the end, you assess it and it's like, you know, either you followed your path or you pivoted and it still worked out. And I think I was pretty fortunate when I wrote my paper, I wanted to one, work in baseball. So I ended up working with the San Francisco Giants. I also worked for the A's, which as you know, doing um, baseball season is a grind, 162 games. But also for me, I studied, a, I studied abroad when I was an undergrad and I really just enjoyed the travel and the different cultures. And I think for me, you know, in the sports industry, it really is bringing everybody all together. I know that sounds pretty cheesy, but you don't have to know the language, but the love of the game is really brings people together. And that's what I enjoyed. So I wanted to do something in international sports and been fortunate to um, this, the Tokyo Olympics will be my third, third summer Olympics. I've worked on a world cup. I've worked on a rugby world cup. So I think there's a lot of different paths that you can take in sports. And that's what actually the USF program exposed me to. I've always really loved events, but in the two years, um, the two years program, even doing volunteer work and other, um, you know, just small internships, I volunteered for pretty much anything that was offered, whether it was paid, whether it was free, um, whether somebody actually was looking for somebody, I'd be like, here's my card. I'm happy to do whatever you needed to. I think um, the, the exposure that the USF network offers, I think is value, valuable in itself that uh, most people don't have access to. Michelle, as, as you think about, you know, your experience, not only in grad school, but and then through the Giants front office, when you were done with the fellowship, did mm -hmm. you think, I'm going to be in baseball forever? I'm going to be like Pat, I'm going to work, work in it for 32 years? Or, yeah. or, or <laughs> were you thinking, I'm going to go travel to Tokyo and all these cool places around the world? <laughs> I was thinking, you're first. I was like, I'm going to be in baseball. I'm doing this for the long haul. I love baseball through and through. I think after having done 162 games, though, between the A's and Giants and kind of piecemealing, it's a grind. Pat, I don't know how you did it, but it is it is a grind. And, you know, I still love baseball and I will still watch it. But I think for me, what I found a really good for what I wanted to do was the events and not only just baseball, but other, the different sports that I have to offer. So fortunately, shortly after um, I finished that internship and graduated from the program, um, there was an opportunity at one of the agencies to work for them and a client who was a global sponsor of the big three events. And from there, it kind of just took off. The London Olympics was my first project after having worked at the Giants and you know at the time I was like out of grad school and you know you just you just need to find a job you're like I gotta pay my bills now like what should I be doing and so when they said hey would you would you want to work for the Olympics you know work for this client we have to send you to London 
I mean, Jake, Pat, I'll be honest. I didn't really ask too much what that meant. I was like, yep, sign me up. I'm there. You need me to work 24 hours done. I, there was no questions. Um, and then you get into it and you're like, Oh man, what did I sign up for? But it, it, I mean, you guys know this in the event world, there's such adrenaline going, like you're just go, go, go. You don't even think about how much sleep you do or don't get. It's just being there, being in the presence of, you know, other coworkers that you're working with and just, and just the event world is just, it's very exhilarating and very intoxicating. Um, I feel like we're, we're, yeah, we're just gluten for punishment. I feel like these days. Well, and that's part of the, you, you asked, how did I do it? I said, I didn't really didn't know any better. You know, <laughs> yeah. you just sort of do it, but, but let me ask you this. What did you find out about yourself that, what do you, what did you find out that you're really good at that, um, that you could do that's kind of propelled you to the next thing. What are you good at? You know, for me, Pat, I think this came from you, but I feel like I'm a good problem solver. I think one of the things you talked about early on in your, one of your podcasts is, you know, be a problem solver, not a creator. And you just think, well, duh, I don't want to be a problem creator, but really I'm good at solving problems and I'm good at solving problems on the fly. And I feel like that's sort of been my niche and figure out what to do, especially in the event world, right? You can plan as much as you can. Everything's going to look great on paper, 100%. But until you're in that real live environment and you're able to, you know, make decisions on the fly and make not just um, make knowledgeable decisions, right? Like know the impact and know the implications on how it affects everything else. Like if you're able to do that, especially in the event space, I think that's where, that's where I've really, really found my niche. Um, and also I, I like being fast paced, like in my personal life, I liked it a little bit slower, but for my work pace, I just like go, go, go. And just to always be doing something. It's never a dull day. Every day, every day literally is a different day. Michelle, being fast paced in the working world allows you to be slow paced in your personal life. because <laughs> tired. I mean, right? Like that's part of it. Very true. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I feel like after a big, long event, I, like one of them, um, I did the World Cup in Brazil in 2013 and 14. So I was down there for both summers for like, you know, 45, 60 days. I think when I came home for two days straight, I don't, I didn't leave the couch. Um, you know, my parents were like, are you okay? Is anything wrong with you? I'm like, no, I just like need to sit and not move for a little bit. So, you know, there is a little bit of a balance there, but for the most part, I mean, sports is pretty fast paced and, and that's how I like to keep a majority of my life. And then my downtime, when I check out, I am 100% out. There's no email, there's no phone. So um, it's a give and take. Good for you. So, so with, the, yeah. with the people who might be listening to this podcast, um, who, who either are considering getting into sports management or who are you know, just looking to grow in the business, um, what sort of advice would you give them about what you can expect um, and, and maybe some of the qualities, what would be the qualities that you would advise somebody that would be good for them to develop if they want to be in this business? I think one of the things about this business is I say networking, but you you know, like this, the sports world is big, but it, also very small right it's like everybody knows everybody and I think one of the good things about this too is you know in order to 
I'll say this because the how I found my jobs was through other people. So networking, I think, is a huge one to have. And I don't just mean network to find a job and continue to find a job, right? But you you network to know people in the business so that when you have a problem that you need to solve, there are people that you can go to either that are in your field or not in your field that can help you give you advice, um, offer different solutions that you may not think about. I think that's one of the great things is, you know, in the sports, especially the event industry, it's, it's all similar for the most part, but you know, if I have, if I'm trying to solve something for, you know, in Tokyo where I have like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to do this? You know, I'll call up like a George Costa at the Giants or somebody like that who, you know, has done venue management in that world. It may be just the Giants venue, but he's, he has so much experience from all the different events. He'll know like, oh, we did it this way, but it didn't work. But if you're in this scenario, this is a better solution. So I think networking is a huge thing, not just for finding a job, but to just better yourself, right? Like you're, you're always going to be learning in this industry, I think. And that's one of the great things I, I was never at, at school in academics. I was never like open a book and study. I really learned best from other people, other people's experience and just being out in the field. So I think networking is definitely um, one of those ones that that's key here. Michelle, you, you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of like, if someone were to ask you, great, you're really good at problem solving. How do you do it? Mm -hmm. Right? Like the, that's always, it's great if you can say that you're good at something, but it's, it's even harder to coach it to someone else or, or teach it, right, mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. Outside of the networking piece and relying mm -hmm. on others, is there something else that, you know, whether it's a mindset mm -hmm. or an attitude or a philosophy on problem solving that you kind of have that, that you go about? No, Jake, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever thought about a mindset, um, but really, I think, like if you were an athlete, like most people who are in sports too, right, come from like a, an athletic background, have played a team sport. I think it's really just having your head in the game and really having to be focused on like what your end goal is. I feel like when you're problem solving, you know, I think for us, we run so many different scenarios in our head, right? Like you run scenario after scenario. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think anybody ran the scenario of having a pandemic happening, right? And having a solution for that. But you just run so many different things. And then at the end of the day, you're just like, okay, here are my four options. You weigh them out. You definitely will engage other people's opinion, right? Like even though I'm problem solving, I have to route up to my boss and other people. But I think it's just, you just have to be open-minded about things. Cause even if in your mind, if, if you have a solution and you're like, this isn't going to work, but you know what? Sometimes you just have to go with your gut feeling and, and it turns out okay. I think that that's sort of one of the harder things about it. Cause I think for us too, I'm, I'm a type A person, right? Like I want to have everything written down. I want to run a show to the minute. So I know exactly where you're going to be at 5:17 PM, what bus you're going to be on. But you know, you also have to just go with the flow. Um, and I think problem solving and going with a flow, unfortunately kind of contradict themselves, but at the same time, you know, like you'll, you're going to make a decision and if, in your mind, you're like, well, I'm going to make this decision and this is going to, this is what's going to happen, but it doesn't happen. You're going to have to flip on a dime. So I don't, I don't know if that made sense, but um, yeah, it, no, it you does. Know, going with the flow, I think will have to be a skill. 
so let's get into the weeds a little bit. Tell, tell us a little bit about one of the specific programs that you ran and, um, you know, we're all solving problems. Talk about one of the problems that you actually solved and how, how you did it. It's just to give people a, a, a feel for what it is that you actually do. Sure. Uh, um, well, one example that I can think of right off the bat, um, we did a program and we had, um, there were not enough hotel rooms in this host city. So our solution for not having enough, I'll say land hotel rooms, we um, chartered a cruise ship and that became our floating hotel for our, for our, for our guests that we were hosting for the event. And, um, you know, our guests were supposed to arrive, let's call it on a Saturday, which is great, right? Our guests are going to fly in, we're going to pick them up at the airport, and then we're going to transfer them to this cruise ship. Well, the cruise ship um, was sailing up from a different area. And so the timing of when guests were landing and when the cruise ship was arriving, on paper, it was like the cruise ship's going to arrive at 6 a.m. that morning, guests will land at 10 a.m. So we had like a four-hour window that didn't happen right guests are guests are flying in early instead of coming in at 10 a.m they're coming in at 8 a.m because their flights were early heaven forbid you have an early flight right and then the cruise ship instead of coming in at 6 a.m because and, and again i'm not a, a seaman or anything but because of the waters and wherever it was sailing from well it wasn't going to arrive until 2 p.m so what do you do with your guests who are coming in at 8 a.m when you're actual hotel cruise ship isn't coming until 2 p.m. Um, fortunately enough, we were able to, we had, we had been in country already for a while. And so uh, we were able to secure a hotel and function space um, and provide food and a place for our guests to come. Um, and basically it became our holding period, holding room for them in the interim from landing at the airport into putting them on the cruise ship. And we had to flip that around within like 48 hours of knowing that the cruise ship was going to be late. Um, and it was for 400 people. So now you're rerouting all of their transfers from the airport to a hotel, food and beverage. I mean, making sure they're all somewhat I don't, comfortable, <laughs> I guess you would say, um, until then the cruise ship could then dock and then we'd get all of their um, proper documentations in place. Um, in order to board the cruise ship. I don't know if you guys have been on a cruise ship, but there are additional documents required to do that. So we had to get those all prepared um, for the guests and then transfer them to the actual cruise ship. So, um, you know, solving on the fly. What, what else are you going to do? You can't leave them at the airport. You can't take them to the port where there's nothing there. So you you stick them out of function space in a hotel. Well, and you got to keep, so. keep your cool through all this too, because you know, you, like you say, you never want to let them see you sweat. You know, you might be sweating bullets, but you don't want to let people see that. You want to keep their confidence level up. So, uh, boy, I'm sure glad you're worrying about stuff like this and not me. I'll tell you, you're, you're much better at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were definitely, we were definitely sweating bullets. I think the only one thing that we had to our advantage is, fortunately, um, the function space, it had views of, of the ocean, which was great. And so, you know, you know the guests, clearly they're, they're traveling internationally. They've probably been on 12 hour flights. They're exhausted, right? They're asking us 
well, why can't we board our cruise ship? Why can't we board it? And literally, I can't even tell you the perfect storm, Pat, the cruise ship literally sailed by through the window. And we were like, you can't board it because there is your cruise ship. It is still on the water. I, I can't even tell you how perfect that moment was. And they were like, oh, okay. Other than that, I don't really think people understand all of those logistics. But when you literally tell them your, your, your hotel room is literally at sea right now, that's why you're still here. Then they're like, okay, with it. Yeah, it's so. Just I think just that was like the only, they're our only saving grace. Yeah, just like you planned <laughs> exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michelle, one, you know, as I think about the, the event space and, and the challenges that going abroad to another country represents when you're putting an event on, let alone just one mm -hmm. in the States, right? I mean, what, what additional challenges do you face that when you maybe went to your first one in London that you, I mean, granted, they speak English in London, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's step sort of, one, sort of. right? I mean, sort of, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what challenges did you face that you were like, oh my God, I never thought of that? You know, outside of the obvious like language challenges, um, culture is a huge one. And I don't think people understand until you really do international, how much culture plays a part um, in doing business. Uh, for example, you know, Brazil, the people down there are great. They will say yes to you all day long, but there's no sense of urgency, right? You say, oh, I need this now. And they were like, now, okay. And like now for them, it's like two or three hours later. Um, and you remind them and they're like, oh yeah, 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 I'll get to it. And they're just so happy about it that you're just like, oh man, I really need to be a little bit more, more firm with them, but you can't just be just because they're so nice and that's just how they are, right? There's, it's, it's almost like Hawaii time, but Brazil time. Um, and then, you know, I've done business in Russia where, you know, you tell them like, you need it done now. And they're like, oh, okay, now, now, now. They're not happy to do it. They seem very like cold and they're like almost annoyed that you're asking them, but they will get the job done for you and they will get it done quickly. So I think it's knowing too, like really how people do business is, is going to behoove you, right? Because I think we learned the hard way in Brazil when we needed something done in an hour, we almost had to like plan like four or five hours ahead in order for them to get it done like on on time what we call on time so um i think that's a huge one and then just honestly just being patient with people you know i i don't claim to speak another language well i french maybe here and there but you know when you're doing business in other countries like these people are English first isn't their isn't their first language most of the time. So really to be patient with them because they're trying to like speak to you in your native tongue, which is not theirs. It, it can be a hard sell. Like, I mean, I can't go to Russia or Brazil and claim to do business in, in their language. So I think patience is another one. And just, you know, sometimes you just, you just have to work with them and, you know, you might have to tell them five times, but it'll get done. But patience is one that you must have, I feel like, in, in this space. So is there, is there anything you learned at, at either USF or in the uh, sort of in the internship that you didn't, you know, you didn't think much of at the time, but that sort of you all of a sudden think back to say, you know, that was really something that made an impression on me. I mean, is there, are there some skills that you learned that you now, you know, sort of rely on? What would they be? You know, I will say I I wish I paid more attention in finance <laughs> and accounting class. <laughs> Don't tell Dan Rasher that, but I was, I yeah. mean, 
right? Like you can balance the checkbook and things like that. I'm, oh, I'm not going to be, I don't need to know finance. It's fine. We have an accountant and I can't tell you, I feel like every day is, is a budget exercise. And, um, you know, I luckily I've been able to learn, but I will say I, that's one of the things I wish I would have, um, sort of maybe paid more, a little bit more focus to, um, knowing how it would impact, um, the program though, I will, what I did like about the USF program in my research finding schools is the way that they teach learning for me really works is that it's hands-on right like you're actually they're encouraging you to do internships bringing in real life um, lecturers and case studies that you can kind of understand and apply to it's not just like read a textbook and do the exercise like they're really bringing in people who can talk about it like yourself or or other people who can give real life scenarios of like okay here's the problem at hand here's how we were able to solve it. You know, what do you guys suggest on, on, um, on ways to solve things? So, um, I think finance for sure is one now that I'm like, Oh, maybe I should go back to finance class a little bit. <laughs> no, you can hire those people. You can hire, you can hire, you know, bean counters. That was always my attitude was, is every, one of the things you realize that everybody, nobody's good at everything. Okay. Every, I mean, there's some things that I'm good at. There's some also things that I'm not so good at. And what you learn is to the stuff that you're not so good at, you need mm -hmm. to find somebody who can be good at that. So you can concentrate on yeah. the things that you, you can do well. I mean, that's going to be yeah. you know, the secret. Finance was you know, not, not something that was, that was high on my list. So I always tended to try to find somebody mm -hmm. who was really skilled at it that I could rely on. And that's just part of the management skills that you learn. It sounds like you've, you know, you've compensated really, really well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, in some ways I wish I could be a fly on the wall, w w you know, in your experiences because, you know, going to the Olympics, going to uh, all the things that you're doing, I mean, it is a, um, so, so what do you, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself going? What do, what do you think, What's Michelle going to be doing in five years? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? I get, I mean, I, I don't even know. I actually, I actually really do love what I, what my job now, what I'm doing now in um, the global experience space. Um, a few years back, you know, I took a little bit of a break because I was, I'll say I was tired. I was tired and I was like, oh, maybe I should try something different. Um, I did try something new and stepped away from the international side for a little bit, but realized how much I love travel and how much I just love the big sporting events. Um, so hopefully in five years, I'll have done, you know, the Tokyo Olympics next year. Um, let's say a world cup in Qatar. Um, and then, you know, planning for Paris. Um, that would be my goal. It's to, it's to make it to Paris. So, um, we'll see, we'll see what happens in five years, but a lot, and a lot can change between now and then, but I feel like I'm in a good place now and it, it took me a little bit to get here. I will say I had to kind of pivot and try something new. Cause that's what I thought I wanted. Um, and you know, it, it, it didn't work out, but I enjoyed the time that I did it, but you know, now I'm, I'm back here. So. Michelle, I, I want to hit on something that you just said because it's so, it's probably so common and a lot more common than people think. And mm -hmm. you mentioned that you stepped away, right? You, you kind of just took that leap of faith and were like, I'm going to try mm -hmm. something different. 
I'm going to do something different and I don't know where it's mm -hmm. going to go. Right. And a lot of people that mm -hmm. would be a really fearful mm -hmm. move of just not understanding what's on the other side. Sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is. Um, sometimes you mm -hmm. just really have no idea what's coming because I feel like Pat, that question of what do you want to be in five years? I feel like in today's day and age, that's, that's turned mm -hmm. into like six months because of, because yeah. of how fast things move, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and, and you still don't know what the six month is. Yeah. So. But you also don't want to be afraid. Allow yourself, allow yourself to, you said pivot, you know, allow yourself to fail at something too. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, failure, yeah. failure is an incredible teacher. I mean, I, you know, I, I've never had a failure that was fatal, fortunately, but I certainly have had some, I used to call them, I, and the people who, who associate with me, I used to call an, either an event or a program or a promotion or something that, that didn't work out. I would sort of try to, I would call it a creative success, you know, <laughs> or, an, or an event that we lost money on. <laughs> I, would, I would call it a creative success because there was certainly some good things that, that would come out of it. I think also, I think what you tend to learn too, yeah. is that if you're either a, if you're either a buyer or a seller, like in a lot of the stuff that you're doing now, you're really a buyer, you're a buyer. So, um, but that, but you also have to be a seller because a lot of the people who are, um, that you're coordinating for are, are basically trusting you to, um, to take care of it. So that means you're sort of a seller. So you sort of have to balance both being a buyer. If you spent your whole career as a buyer, you know, you tend to you think that, you know, the world owes you a living. Take, take some time and be a seller and realize what, you know, what you really have to do to deliver value <laughs> and, and what, and also what you have to do to answer tough questions. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think, I think Jake, you 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 nailed that one. The grass isn't always greener. I just call it a different shade of green. And sometimes you just need a different shade of green to to mix it up a bit. Um, you know, I it, it does take a little bit. I know it was hard for me to take that leap of faith to be like, you know what, I'm going to step back and and see what else is out there. But um, it was really good for me, and I just I took the leap of faith to do it. I feel like I probably talked to Pat before I did that step, and you know he. Pat, you're so great. You're always like, this isn't going to be your last job. You're going to talk to me again and you're going to have this a new is your job. Next so, job. This you know, is there's always ways job. to continue to grow. It's yeah. the next job. It's the next yeah. job. And so yeah. I think that that has definitely been instilled in me. I think for me too, like not necessarily re rejection too is a hard one. And so I don't call it rejection. I just call it redirection, right? Like you're just redirecting yourself to a different path to see where that goes. And Maybe it'll put you back on a, the path that you were you were originally on. Maybe it won't. Who knows? But um, no, no, no sense in um, you know. Might as well try now. I think I feel like I'm still young enough where I can pivot a little bit, um, whereas need to. Whereas if I was a little bit further in my career, it's a little bit harder. But I, you know, having the flexibility to do so too, I think helps if you have that option. When you, when you think about yeah. the focusing on the now, right, and ultimately understanding mm -hmm. where you've been, where you are heading in a direction, right, you said redirect, 
what's when when you think about focusing on the present how do you go about focusing on the present knowing that there are just so many things around you um happening so fast and and you're trying to soak up as much as possible you're trying to learn as much as you can you're trying to stay in in touch with as many people as possible i mean the list goes on mm -hmm. right how do you stay how do you stay present in the moment especially when you're focused on tokyo and you know you're you're going to be traveling halfway around the world. Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, it's there's a lot of things that you can't control. And I used to focus on everything, right? But what can I control and what can I focus on? So even in this day and age, right, there's so much uncertainty on like, what's going to happen? Is Tokyo going to happen? Are all sporting events coming back? What is the new norm? Like nobody knows. Like if we knew, if we could, if the three of us could predict that now, we might as well all go buy lotto tickets, win the lotto, and just call it a day. But I don't think the three of us have that ability right now. So for me, I think it's just really like, okay, every day I wake up, I'm like, what can I control today? And what do I need to focus on to get me through this next week? Because yes, we need to look a little bit ahead, I will say in the planning process, but until we know certain things, like for example, for us, you know, one of the big things I think um, for Tokyo, this is a real life example, right? Like it's moving next year. And essentially they just picked up the date and moved it by one day and it's good, right? So on paper, that looks fantastic. Well, you know, the competition schedule could change. What if, because the venues that they contracted, they don't have those same venues next year. And I don't know, I'm just throwing this out here. So nobody hold me to this. But like, what if Taekwondo and gymnastics now have to share a venue? Well, now the whole schedule is going to change. Well, how does that impact ticketing? And then how does that impact like buses and transportation who are going to the venue? All these things are just so uncertain. And you know, we can run as many scenarios as we want. Now, I will not be running any of those scenarios because you would just be running them all day long. But, you know, you can't control that. So it's like, okay, we know it's moving. We're going to plan for, you know, it's moving exactly by one day and everything will stay the same. And we're just going to do that. And then, you know, we'll pump the brakes and get to see what other information we have. I think that's the other hard part too for event planners is, we're just so used to always planning, planning, planning. And so when we come to a situation where, you know, we need to plan, but there isn't all of that information, it's like, okay, well, let's plan for like 10 scenarios. And then you guys know what happens, right? You plan, for, you plan 10 scenarios and then none of your scenarios actually happen. So you plan for the 11th one that nobody thought was going to happen. So, you know, you just, you also just don't want to touch things more than you need to. So I think, just really focusing on like, what can you control with the information that you have to date is how I've been able to get through this. So I, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing next week, but I can tell you kind of what I'm doing till Friday. <laughs> and then, you know, next week I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll tell you what, what, one of the things I learned along the way is that um, I'm not a control freak. I'm a control freak on certain things but what I found that I was most effective was in managing a team of people. Some of them were going to have to be control freaks in certain areas so that I didn't have to be. <laughs> and so my, the control I needed was yeah. to manage different members of the team and understand what it was that they were going to be doing. Um, I would look them in the eyes and see, and, and see if they had it. If they didn't have it, I, maybe I could help, 
help them get it. But um, I, I sort of wanted to be somebody who maybe had a bigger, you know, a bigger scope and um, really got great value on managing a team of people who most of them were way better than me at the specific jobs that they were doing. But together we figured out um, a way to, um, to make something really great happen. I probably learned more from working on the 50th Super Bowl than I did in many of my years in baseball because we had, you know, it had a beginning, a middle and an end. We bid on this Super Bowl. We all of a sudden were awarded the Super Bowl. And so you, you know, my first reaction was, holy shit, we actually got this thing. And then it was, how do we put <laughs> together to actually make it work? So you really had to stay a little, when I say higher level, you had to stay more on kind of figuring out what your values were, figuring out what the overall direction was, and then trying to assemble a team of people who all could do a piece of the overall thing and, so, and also make judgments on people. And sometimes you make the wrong judgment is you put somebody in a position to, to succeed and they don't succeed. So that, that's sort of on you to help figure. So, you know, Michelle, I, I, I think that where I kind of see you going is, is being, a, being a, a control freak, but also being able to manage a team of people who can help you um, sort of broaden the scope of the things that you're accomplishing. I mean, it just, you sort of strike me as somebody who you can do that is you're, you know, you're, you're somebody who people would follow if you can, if that's something that you aspire to do. Yeah, no, I, Pat, I appreciate that. I'm so flattered. Um, I actually was my, my role in for the world cup um, uh, world cup, as you know, is in, host cities not one uh, not one one specific city like the olympics right that's in like tokyo but like the world cup is in 10 markets so in brazil i actually oversaw the program where um, i actually had eight different teams in eight different cities and so for the first few weeks I actually flew around to each city to check on our teams um because they all had to work simultaneously together so i definitely you know when i need to be like the high level i think that's a good skill to have too, right? You need to know when you need to be high level, when you need to be a leader and when you need to just like take a step back and I plan an overall, I'm going to then give the information to my teams and entrust in them that they're going to execute what they need to. And, um, you know, that's essentially sort of what I did and checked on the teams. And even if they said, Hey, you told us this, but, um, you know, when we're executing it, it actually did work better if we did it this way. Hey, by all means, you guys do what you need to do. You get it done. You're in there real time. I mean, your staff is only as good as you. So I think the other thing too is, you know, making sure you're surrounded by good people that you really do trust where if you just give them a task at hand, they can go ahead and do it. I feel like, you know, if we, I had to micromanage somebody, that's just not how I like to work, nor do I think that's, um, especially, you know, in the event industry, it's just so fast paced. You don't have time to tell somebody to be like, okay, here's A, B, C, D. You just need to be like, I need Z. Can you get it to Z for me? So, um, yeah, I think knowing the difference too and when to pull back or when to step in and get a little bit nitty gritty. But, you know, I, I still like to get in the trenches. I'll, I still like to move tables, you know, and count boxes. Sometimes doing that mindless stuff is fun. But, um, you know, yeah, I don't like you any have of to like see overall strategy. You got to step back a little bit. 
I learned when That's to what get, you have me for. No, no, no. I learned when to get out of the way, get out of the way. And, and in a lot of cases, fortunately, I had a good enough relationship with the team is they would sort of tell me get to get out of the way and they would tell ah. me to go over here so I would not affect what they were doing. And I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not that dense. I could figure it out, but that's also, but that's also part of the fun of this business is we are really in, yeah. the, we're making memories and that's the, not only memories for ourselves, but we're making memories for people in, 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 a, in an industry that is, um, that people get passionate about because we're dealing with people's hopes and aspirations, whatever. I mean, you talk about the Olympics. I mean, you know, yes, if you're an Olympic athlete, that's one thing. But if you're actually helping to actually stage the games and figure out and also bringing in the partners and taking care of the partners that it needs, it's, it, it, there's, there's, it's such an incredible memory. And to be a part of actually help making that memory is a great thing to, great thing to, to have. Pat, I, I, as we wrap up the episode, I, I want to ask one quick question. Everyone's got their mentors and they learn something from their mentors, but their mentors always learn something from the mentees as well. What's one thing you've learned from Michelle along the way? You know, I, I actually, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. She, Michelle has very good judgment because I tried to get her to come work um, and I'm a pretty good sales guy. I tried her to get her to come work on the 50th Super Bowl, and for because we had a perfect position, she would have been perfect for. And she was, um, she was very, um, she was very kind when she decided <laughs> to tell me that that wasn't what she was going to do. And so she has incredible tact, and um, you know, learning how to say no sometimes is also, and also say no sometimes quicker because it also saves time when you do that. So I, I learned that Michelle, I always hoped that we'd have a chance to work together again. You know, maybe we will at some point, but um, hey, we got a chance to work together on this podcast, which is fantastic. And I think what it, what it, what it, show, what it showcases is you're the kind of person where opportunities are going to find you um, and then you can sort of determine between them. That's the value of, of a good network, of being a good team member or a good team leader, is that opportunities tend to find you. And I've told Jake this a bunch, you know, as I sort of advise him, is that you guys have a, an incredible amount of talent and you, do, um, and you do the right things. You don't have all the answers, but um, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. And you know, that, that just means a lot in today's world. So um, I just want to cheer Michelle on, you know, from a distance and keep track of her. And Jake, I want to do the same thing with you. Thanks, Pat. Always appreciated. And Michelle, thank you so much for your time today on, on the podcast and certainly learned a thing from, from you. And I know that if I do finally get to my international travels, I know who I'm calling for some tips and advice. So uh, I appreciate it. And thank you for, for participating in our legacy series with Pat Gallagher Fellow uh, for the University of Sports, San Francisco's uh, Sports Management Program. Thanks again.